Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help me. And Lord, uh, Lord, you know my struggles, and even with the, some of the things, the sickness uh, returning a little bit, Lord, I pray that you'd give me what I need for this morning, for the next few minutes, as I preach and proclaim your truth. And Lord, I am thankful for the songs that have been sung this morning. And Lord, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by you, by your goodness, and even as our series has been talking about, I'm overwhelmed by your grace. And Lord, I pray that you just continue to overwhelm us with your presence, not just this morning, but as we go forward into the future with our church. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with the, the kids' ministry right now as it's in the back, and I pray that You'd be honored and glorified in all that's said and done back there. We're thankful for the good services we had last week. And, and Lord, we're, we're so thankful for what you've been doing. And, Lord, I believe what you're going to do in the future. And, Lord, again, I pray that you'd help us to, to remember to be thankful in all things. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to realize the limitless power of grace. And as the song just suggested, that... Really, it overwhelms us. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with this message this morning. I pray that you'd help me through it. In Christ in my prayer. Amen. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Go ahead and stand if you would. First Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to read three verses this morning. Verse 16, 17, and 18. Uh, this is a somewhat familiar passage for those that have been in church. And um, you've probably even heard messages on this. So I'm not going to necessarily go too deep within these verses, but I want to talk about them for a few minutes and then really make a practical application on the limitless power of grace and what we see about grace or what the Lord has kind of showed me even this week about grace from what we see in this, these verses this morning. Verse number 16, the Bible says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I know we did things a little bit backwards today. Let me ask a question as we start this morning. What are you thankful for right now in your life? What are you thankful for right now in your life? Does anyone want to say anything right now? Justin. Health. Health. That's a very good thing. What else? Yes, Brother Alan. Salvation. Salvation. Those are good. Very good. What else? What are you thankful for right now in your life? David. That girl right there, very good, Carmen. He's, he's pointing to his wife, just in case you didn't see. Yes, amen. Yes. I appreciate that. Thank you. What else? What else? What are we thankful for? Yes. The husband sells a job. That's, that's a great thing to be thankful for. Carrie? Church. Church. Amen. Yes, Dylan? I caught a fish yesterday. You caught a fish yesterday. Hey, I'd be thankful for that too. That's very good, right? Did you already eat it? No, not yet. Okay, very good. <laughs> yes. Endless love of God. Very good. Anything else? This is good. What else, what else are we thankful for right now in our lives? Anyone? Mike? Living where we live, not just the country, but even here specifically, God's 
Yes, thankful for living where we are. Yes, my your family. Very good. I like this. What else? Anything else we're thankful for today? It's a good time of praise and thanksgiving. Anyone else? What? God's provision. Yes, very good. Anything else? Let's do a couple more. Anyone? Your mother? <laughs> very good. Oh, oh, she wants to say something? Oh, now you're just picking on people today. All right, very good. Very good. Yes, Brian? Our church family. Our church family. Amen. Anyone else? One, maybe one more? Friendships. Friendships. That's very good. Very good. Michael? Uh, you still have a stomach. Yeah, some of you guys saw... He and uh, Mike Jones did that video. You know, um, uh, Susan gave him the, the, the peppers, but it wasn't, she wasn't forcing them to eat, right? Yeah, exactly. That was of their own free will and volition. So if they want to be foolish, that's on them. That's not on her. Now, she was enabling them a little bit, but some, never mind. I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to stop right there because we can easily go on and on and on. Uh, I want to start with the story that I read, and I want to finish the message with this story a little bit later, but I read of a pastor who received a very strange request from someone in their community for personal financial assistance. I get requests like that uh, all the time on a continual basis, sometimes even on Sunday mornings. Uh, Sometimes I don't like answering the phone on Sunday mornings because I know it's probably someone trying to get help, and, and I'm trying to be in that spirit of prayer, but sometimes I answer because I'm like, oh, maybe they want to come to church, and they're trying to find directions. Uh, but anyway, I read of a request from a pastor seeking that personal financial assistance, and it was a rather unusual request. Uh, the guy on the phone, he was asking for help to pay for his headstone and its inscription on it. Very strange. I've never received a request like that. Uh, the pastor did a little digging to figure all of it out. He found out what the inscription was to say because he thought it would shed some light on this man. Here's what was to be etched on this headstone. Forgive me for the days I wasn't grateful. Forgive me for the days I wasn't grateful. I'm going to come back to that story a little bit later in the message. There's another question I want to ask, and I don't want us to answer it out loud this morning, but have you ever wondered what God's will is for your life? I have, many times over. You know, I've heard messages on God's will, and sometimes the messages I've heard are completely taken out of context, if I'm just going to be honest. Uh, Some pastor or preacher has gotten up there and said, this is God's will for your life, and then they go off on their tangent of anything and everything, what I believe is God's will. But there, in this passage today, we can clearly know what God's will is for our lives. And I say that with surety, because look at verse number 18 again. After Paul had talked to the church at Thessalonica here. He says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. In every gift, every little, little, uh-huh, can't talk. In everything, give thanks. What's he say? For this is the will of God. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So here, specifically, we can know what the will of God is for our lives. And it's not just directed at giving thanks. We're going to talk about that this morning, but it's also directed at our prayer. And it's also directed at our rejoicing. You know, understanding God's will can be a loaded question. But I want us to understand, if we are to truly thrive as a Christian, as an individual, as a church, we must understand God's will, we must practice God's will 
on a daily, consistent basis. And many times when Paul wrote his letters to the churches, he was writing to encourage them, to exhort them, to help them to understand some very significant truths. Some of the truths that he had talked about were very familiar within all of the letters. And what I mean is he had written a lot of epistles, a lot of letters to a lot of different churches, and, and some of the same themes were in many of those letters. And he gives some, some very important principles in verses 16 through 18. Let's read them together. Rejoice evermore. Verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Read the first phrase of verse 18. In everything, give thanks. Just stop right there. Let's read those three again. Ready? Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Now, these are three imperatives. And what I mean by that is these are three commands, three uh, choices of action that Paul is trying to get this church and Christians to understand. And it's a great challenge for Christians in general. You know, I was thinking about that this week, and even last night as I was doing my final study in preparation, you know, I'm just going to be honest, I don't always follow God's Word. And I say that, I'm not trying to put myself down or boast of myself, but I don't always follow God's word. I'm sure you don't always follow God's word either. Here's what I mean. You know, Paul gives us specific commands. Jesus gives us specific commands in his word. And instead of doing what the Bible says, I sometimes think I know better. And maybe you're better than me. And if you are, praise God for that. But sometimes I think I know what's best. So I choose to not follow the principles of God's word. And I choose instead to follow the principles that I think should be established. And I think of these verses, and I think of what they say. Now, if they said something along the lines of this, rejoice sometimes, pray occasionally, and give thanks when you feel like it. If those were the commands, I would be the most spiritual Christian in the world. Honestly, I would. If those were the commands to rejoice sometimes, pray occasionally, and give thanks when you feel like it, I mean, there wouldn't be one greater than me. And I say that facetiously, but that's what I do. But Paul's not saying rejoice sometimes, pray occasionally, and give thanks when you feel like it, is he? No. He gives these imperatives. Now understand when, again, Paul is writing this this letter to the church at Thessalonica, and in even different letters, he's trying to encourage them. And, and there are times where when he encourages them, it, it's almost kind of harsh. He's speaking the truth to them, but he's also speaking the truth in love. And, and again, I was thinking about this. Sometimes, you know, when we know someone is struggling and we have the words to, to help them and, and give them that truth that they need, sometimes we don't give them that truth. Here's what I mean. Instead of okay, you're doing wrong, you're on the wrong path, this is what you need. We kind of sugarcoat things, right? Well, you know what? You just need to try harder. Everything will be okay. You know, we try to give this flowery speech to people and, and we try to encourage or uplift without actually getting to the truth of the matter. And I say that because Paul could have done that. You know what, Church of Thessalonica? I know it's difficult for you. I know there are a lot of suffering and persecution because as Paul's writing this, there is a lot of suffering, a lot of persecution, a lot of hardship within that church because the early Christians in the early first century went through a lot of suffering because of their faith. They had left 
the, the typical law uh, of Judaism, and they were trying to live for God, and they were persecuted for their beliefs. We're not really persecuted for our beliefs here in America. And he could have easily said, you know what? I know you're trying, church, so just... I shouldn't have been there. I know you're trying, church, but I just want to encourage you, you know, just try a little bit harder. Just, you know, if, if you have time, rejoice. You know, when, when it's convenient for you, pray. And if you feel like it, give thanks. He could have done that, couldn't he have? Yes. And, and I say that because we do that sometimes with each other, do we not? Instead of giving Bible commands, Bible imperatives, we try to sugarcoat things. We try to make it a little bit more flowery. And, you know, I, I don't want to just step on anyone's toes. So, you know, if you have time, come to church. If you have time, read your Bible. If you have time to do this stuff, go ahead and do it. But Paul doesn't do that. Now, he's not harsh with them. He's saying this in love. Hey, rejoice always. Pray continually and give thanks in everything. So very quickly, I want to look at those three things and then I want to make some practical applications on what grace is in this passage. Rejoice always. Now, you know, rejoice is something that I struggle with and I'm sure you struggle with it as well. I've said it before. We did a whole series on the book of Philippians last year and Rejoicing is not happiness. I, know, I think sometimes we get those confused. Rejoicing is not happiness. Because happiness is based on the circumstances, right? It's based on what is happening in our lives. And happiness is really more superficial. It's more external. I'm going to be honest today. There are a lot of times in my life where I'm just not happy. And you'd probably be honest too. There are a lot of times in your life when you're not happy. But Paul is not saying, be happy all the time. Because you think about it, how can this church truly be happy with what is going on in their lives? They're suffering persecution. They're suffering hardships. Uh, people want to take their lives. How can you be happy with that? But that's not what he's saying, is he? He's saying rejoice. Now, joy goes far, far deeper. You know, we're not going to go deep into this this morning. We'll, we'll dive deeper into that maybe at another time. But I, I think back of Philippians Philippians chapter 3 and Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, hey, I've already kind of told you this, but I want to remind you to rejoice. And I even think of what he says in Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then, just in case they didn't get it, you know what he says? And again, I say rejoice. So he's repeating himself, and I know we do that sometimes. Why don't we repeat ourselves? Because we're trying to get something across, right? Even though we already know it, and I was thinking about this morning, you know, I've done that with Nate at times. You know, I, I tell him something. He's like, Dad, I already know. He's five years old. He knows everything. I mean, he's just that kid. Amen, right? <laughs> but he knows everything. And, and I'm, I'm telling him, and I'm like, Nate, well, if you knew it, you would do it. But then I'm like looking in the mirror because it's just a great illustration for myself because as I'm telling him, I'm realizing <laughs> that I don't always do everything that I'm supposed to do. I don't always do everything that I know that I should do. So it's just a reminder, and that's all Paul is doing here. He's reminding the church at Thessalonica, the church at Philippi, to rejoice in the Lord. And this is key. He's not saying to rejoice in your circumstances. Because to be honest, you cannot rejoice in your circumstances, can you? You cannot rejoice when things are going bad. 
You cannot rejoice when the world is against you. But that's not what Paul is saying. What's he say? Rejoice in who? The Lord, in Christ, in Jesus. You see, our joy has nothing to do with our circumstances. Our joy has everything to do with the source of our circumstances, Christ. And joy is deeper. It's rooted deep within us. You see, we rejoice not because of the pain, the sorrow, the suffering. We rejoice in the Lord because He's in control. And I told you earlier, I have a hard time with that because I think control is something that many of us, if not all of us, struggle with. I know I struggle greatly with that. I struggle greatly with control. Because I know what the Word of God says. I've, I've studied God's Word. I'm not saying I'm super spiritual Christian here, but I study God's Word and I get paid to study God's Word. I know what it says, but I still struggle with giving up control to God. Because I think of situations in my life and I think of circumstances and I'm like, God, that's not fair. Anyone ever feel like that? Anyone ever say things like that? All right, good. I'm glad I'm not alone. But man, I, I do that consistently continuously sometimes. God, it's not fair. It's not fair that I have to go through this. It's not fair that this has happened. It's not fair that that's happened. It's not fair that you've allowed this to happen, that, that you won't allow that to happen. It's just not fair. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to control a situation. And when I'm trying to control a situation, church, I can never find joy in that situation, can I? No. I'm not going to rejoice. Why would I rejoice? But Paul is saying rejoice evermore, or he's saying rejoice always, not because of what's happening, but because God is in control. And really, I want you to get this. When we're rejoicing in God, it's not that everything good is happening in our lives. Sometimes pain and struggle and sorrow and, and heartache happens, and there's a couple things that God is trying to do here. I think I might have this in your notes, and if not, just write it down anyway. The hard things in our life, they do three things. They shape us, they refine us, and they make us more like Christ. They shape us, they refine us, and they make us more like Christ. Isn't the goal of the Christian life to be more like Christ, to be more like Jesus? Amen. It is. So we have to understand that what we're going through God is allowing it sometimes, sometimes it's of our own free will and volition because of some stupid choices that we made, to be serious, to be honest. But sometimes what God is allowing to happen is really to shape us. I think of uh, um, Plato, I was about to say Plato. Plato, Plato, you know, you're shaping it, you're molding it and trying to make something out of it. I'm not a very good shaper of things, but you know, I remember trying to make shapes out of Play-Doh, and, and I think, in a sense, it, it, it's kind of what God is doing with us. We're kind of that lump of Play-Doh, and He's trying to shape us into who He wants us to be, but what happens is we try to get our hands in the situation, no, 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 I don't like what you're doing with that. I mean, it's like a parent with a kid, and, and they're coloring, they're doing something, and I do this all the time with Nate, and my wife gets on me for it. Nate, let me step in and let me help you, because you're not doing it right. Dad, I'm five. I don't care. You're not doing it right. This is how you're supposed to do it. But that's how we do it with God sometimes. And we have to understand the hard things, the difficult things are there to shape, refine, and make us more like Christ. And I say this because the Bible speaks clearly of this. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. 
James is saying, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. What James is saying is not, hey, we can be perfect. That word perfect is more of maturity. That God is allowing things in our life to happen to mature us, to make us more like Him. And here's the thing about joy, as I said earlier. Excuse me. Joy is internal. It works from the inside, and it works its way out. Let me ask this question. Answer it within yourself, but what do people see in you? That's a strange question. What do people see in you? The first proof of the gospel's power for most people will be what they see in us. And what I mean, if we're only rejoicing when things are going well, and we're trying to get people to have the faith that we have and have a knowledge of God that we have, if if we're only rejoicing in the good times and not the bad times and every other time, why would they want what we have? The first proof of the gospel's power is what people see in us. And what they should see in you is Jesus Christ. What I mean is that He has so overtaken your life that He is everything. He is all-encompassing. And again, all, all three of these imperatives have everything to do with Christ because it every, everything goes back to Christ. Everything in the Bible goes back to Christ. We have to point everything to Christ because it's all about Him. So when Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice evermore, he's not saying rejoice in your own strength, but he's saying rejoice in God's strength. And as he said in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord. The first imperative is rejoice always. The second imperative is to pray continually. And again, this is something I struggle with. You know, you know I find myself praying continually, consistently when I'm in a rough season. And you're probably the same. You know, if things aren't going your well, or aren't going your well, man, I really cannot talk today. Someone else come up and preach this message. Here's the notes. But uh, when things aren't going your way, you're going to really seek out God, right? You're going to really pray to Him. At least that's, that's what happens in my life. When, when I'm really struggling with something, man, I am, I am continually seeking God. In a sense, that, that receiver, the phone, kind of like you know, the, old, you know, the receiver, it's, it's off the hook all the time so that I can always have access to God. But when everything is going well, I put it back on there because you know what? I got this. I don't need God. And Paul isn't saying here that, okay, I want you to always be walking around praying so that you can't even talk to anyone. I mean, you think about that. You know, if people were coming up to us, hey, I can't talk to you. I'm praying right now. You know, all the time. That, that's not what he's saying, but what he's saying is to be in a consistent, continual spirit of prayer. And really, it's, it's seeking the Lord. It's understanding that we can't do life on our own, can we? We need someone's help. Whose help do we need? We need God's help. Pray without ceasing is, is not meaning to always be mumbling prayers, but it's living in a spirit of constant fellowship and prayer with God. To be so in touch with Him that we're always communicating with Him. Good times, bad times. In other words, we must recognize our need to depend on the Lord in every situation. Not just when things are going bad. Not just for the student in school when, I didn't study for this test, so God, please help me pass this test that I did not study for. 
Our prayer must go deeper than that. And a couple things about prayer quickly is we're to pray consciously, deliberately, repeatedly, and persistently. How often do we pray persistently all the time? Or is our prayer only persistent when we're in a bind, and as soon as we get out of that bind, that persistence goes away? I think of George Mueller, and I can't help but think of people like that, that lived in such a spirit of prayer. Those that don't know the story of George Mueller, he was... Uh, he had an orphanage, I think it was in England, and, and many times in his life and his ministry there, they didn't have the sufficient funds, the fish, sufficient needs for what they needed on that day. I mean, there, there are many stories, countless stories of they all sat down with all the orphans together, all the kids and all the, the servants and everyone in the home. They sat down for breakfast or for lunch or for supper and had no food at all. And I'm sure the people were like, uh, where's the food? And Mueller's like, well, we're just going to pray. And we're going to pray and seek God, and I'm sure God's going to do something. And time and time and time again, God did something. The story of his life is amazing. I really encourage you to read the story of his life. I think it's, there's an autobiography of it. But it's an amazing story of someone just dedicating themselves to continual prayer, to persistent prayer, to repeated prayer, to deliberate, conscious. And even as the book, the ladies are reading fervent prayer. So Paul says, rejoice always, pray continually. Then he says, give thanks in everything. Again, these three things go hand in hand. But rejoicing shouldn't be reserved only when things are going well. Prayer shouldn't be our last resort. All these things are difficult. But I think this thing of thanksgiving is one of the most difficult for me. This verse is not encouraging us to be thankful for our circumstances. It's reminding us to be thankful in our circumstances. Because again, you cannot be thankful for everything. You cannot be thankful if someone is attacking you. You cannot be thankful if you're sick. You cannot be thankful if the world is crashing upon you. That's not what he's saying. That's 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 impossible. And really, these three imperatives seem impossible, and they are without God's help. But he's saying, give thanks in, not for, but give thanks in. That means in the middle, enduring. You know, if, if you only give thanks when you have money in the bank, when things are going your way, when you go to the doctor to receive a report and it comes back good, hey, you don't have cancer, everything is well. When you get that bid on a job, when the church is growing, when your friends like you and are talking to you, if that's the only time you give thanks, what do you do when trouble comes? You know, one of the many vital aspects of a church is really their authenticity. And this authenticity should relate to our worship. A vital element of worship is the believer giving thanks. You see, if a church is growing in grace, then its members will desire to learn new ways in which to give thanks to God. Warren Wearsby, I love reading a lot of the things that he says. And he says, If the heart and the head do not keep pace with each other, Christian worship becomes either juvenile or hypocritical. You see, knowing God's will is having constant joy, continual prayer, and consistent thanks. But I want to go deeper this morning on this last aspect of consistent thanks. 
How can we be thankful in everything? Isn't it tough to do? Isn't it almost impossible? Yeah, it is. Unless we understand that God never commands us to do something that is impossible without first enabling us to obey. Here's what I mean. Without Jesus at the center of it all, you will never be thankful in all things. You think about this. In the Bible, there are many stories of people coming to Jesus in their physical state. I think of the lame or the crippled. I think of the one that was blind. I think of the one that that was deaf. A blind man cannot see, can they? I know in our society, well, they might be legally blind and they can still see something, but I'm talking about a literal blindness. You cannot see anything, right? So think about that. A literal blindness you cannot see in your physical state. If you're deaf, you cannot hear. If you're crippled, you cannot walk. But what happened when those people came to Jesus? The crippled man left walking. The blind man left seeing. The one that was deaf left hearing. It's because Jesus was at the center of it all. Now understand what I'm saying here. Jesus may not heal your infirmities. He may not take care of all your difficulties and take them away. But when he's at the center of it all, you can find a way to give thanks in all things, not just because of all things. And we have to understand a few things, and I promise I'm going somewhere with this. We have to understand a few very important and simple things about God. First of all, God loves you. Why don't you say that with me? Ready? God loves you. God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. That alone is reason to give thanks in everything. Because God loves you. A second simple thing to remember is this. God is in control of everything that happens in your life. And again, this has been a good reminder for me even this week. That Chris, God is in control of everything that happens in my life. Church, God is in control of everything that happens in your life. We can say it all we want. But we have to believe it, that God is in control, that he loves us, that he's in control. And the third thing is that God is wiser than you. And we're pretty wise, we're pretty smart, but our wisdom, our smarts, pale in comparison to the wisdom of God. God knows exactly what he's doing, when he's doing it, why he's doing it. And again, I struggle with these things because, man put myself under the bus today, but I constantly am saying things like, God, I don't understand why you keep allowing this to happen. God, I don't get why this person can do that, why that person can do that, why I can't do that. What? I don't get it. And it's because I'm saying that, you know what? I don't really think God's in control of everything. I should be in control of everything. And God, I don't really think that you're wiser than me because I have a better plan. And my plan is going to work because it's going to make me fall flat on my face. Really, it will. But we have to understand that God loves us. Everything he does for us is not to hurt us, but it's to shape us, refine us, to make us more like him. Understand that God is in control of everything in our lives and that God is wiser than we are. So 
Where does grace come into the picture here? I'm glad you asked. When your life is full of unthankfulness and complaining, then you fail to truly experience and exemplify grace. Did you know that God takes complaining personally? Study out the Old Testament, the life of the Israelites. Numbers chapter 11, verse number 1, it says, It displeased the Lord. Why? Because the people were complaining, they were murmuring, they were grumbling. So think about the times in your life that you complain. Think about the times in your life you grumble, you whine, you throw a fit. Think of what God thinks. It displeases him. I want you to listen to me for the next few minutes closely. Complaining is sin because at its core it's blasphemous. When you break it down, complaining is a refusal to trust God and acknowledge His grace in your life. When we complain, we stop paying attention to what we have, and get this, we become fixated on what we don't have. Let me say that again. When we complain, we stop paying attention to what we have and become fixated on what we don't have. God, I need this. What about everything else I've given you? But God, I need this. I need you to do something right now in this situation. But what about everything else I've done for you? But God, you don't understand. You see where we go? We're complaining. So we're fixated on our, our simple, our minute problem instead of realizing everything that God has done for us. When we complain, we stop paying attention to what we have and become fixated on what we don't have. When we complain, we are unthankful and we fail to see God's grace in its proper perspective. I heard of a story of a man who went to the uh, movies and, and was asking for popcorn and they filled his popcorn bucket up to the brim and he started complaining. He said, I'm not going to be able to carry this without spilling it. And he went off on the people at the counter because they filled his bucket too full of popcorn. And think about that. How foolish is that? He, he, had diff- he had messed up perspective. I'd be like, hey, can I have a couple other containers so I can catch this popcorn that falls out? <laughs> but he had a messed up view because he was only thinking of all the things that can go wrong. <laughs> he was losing per- perspective. And it's so easy to complain, is it not? Let's go around the room today. Let's just talk about all the stuff we complain about, right? Because I'm sure even today, we've probably been complaining. I'm sure even this morning, maybe even during the services, we've been complaining, maybe even in our hearts. Again, I'm preaching as, just as much to myself as anyone else. One study separated participants into two groups. The first group was assigned to keep a daily irrational journal of things that annoyed them. Imagine doing that. Participants in the second group were told to keep a Thanksgiving journal of all the things they were grateful for. The researchers found those who kept the Thanksgiving journal had greater overall energy, enthusiasm, slept better, and were less depressed. They also discovered that what each group was assigned to do intentionally, they started doing unintentionally. People who had to list positives became more grateful. People who listed annoyances became more discontent. And I said this earlier, but I want you to get this. Grumbling like grace has a way of becoming the lens through which we look at life. 
Instead of looking at life through the lens of grace, you know what we do? We look at it through the lens of grumbling, complaining, whining. If we want to be a grace-filled church, this is what we must do. We must find grace in everything. In every situation, in every circumstance, in every battle, in every struggle, in everything, give thanks. Gratitude and thankfulness recognize that God is in control, that His grace is reason enough to be thankful in all circumstances. And here's the truth. Complaining at its core is blasphemous. Because it's saying this, God, I am not thankful for who you are. God, I am not thankful for what you've done. God, I think I can take care of my situation better than you. God, I know what's best for my wife. God, I am wiser than you. Think about all the times you complain. All you're doing, all I'm doing is being blasphemous towards a holy God. When you strip it down, complaining is a refusal to trust God and acknowledge His grace in your life. Whining is the opposite of worship and complaining is a rival of grace. Let me say that again. It's not in your notes, but write that down. Whining is the opposite of worship and complaining is the rival of grace. And there are two very important principles that stand out to me about grace, and I want to say it very quickly, and we'll be done this morning. First thing is this. Grace is retrospective. Here's what I mean. What does it mean to be retrospective? It means to look back. How often do we only look back at all the things bad that have happened in our life and complain about them? instead of looking back and seeing God's grace. And again, I'm preaching just as much to myself this morning because I've done that, even this week. I look back at all my situation, all my past experience, all my past struggles, and I fail to see God's grace because all I'm doing is fixating myself on the problem and not on God. Grace is retrospective. Before we start complaining about what we don't like, why don't we consider what God's grace is trying to accomplish? You know, sometimes we have to go through the refiner's fire to be purified. And one thing I've learned about struggles is they don't last forever. But what if the struggle we're going through is actually going to result in a greater blessing later? I want you to think about this, and this is powerful. If God can turn the death of His Son into our salvation, then He can do just about anything with whatever we're going through. Amen. If God can turn the death of His Son into our salvation, then don't you think He can turn any of your situation into something great? <laughs> and when I look back on my situations with grace... That's what I see. I see grace. I see God's goodness. I see God guiding and leading and directing. I see God's wisdom far greater than my own understanding. I see that God loved me, that he was trying to help me avoid a situation that I would have gone head into. Grace is retrospective. It looks back. I want to go back to that story I mentioned at the very first this morning. 
the tombstone story, the, the man that wanted the preacher to help pay for his tombstone and, and the inscription that was written on it, forgive me for the days I wasn't grateful. The preacher had to meet this guy, and this guy's name was Marcus. He woke up one morning jaundiced. He described himself as orange as a pumpkin. It's pretty bad. He had been a heavy drinker earlier in his life and assumed he had cirrhosis of the liver. He went to the hospital for testing and was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He only had days to live. He was put on chemotherapy, and the progression of the cancer slowed, giving him more time than originally predicted. The preacher asked Marcus, how can you be grateful in such difficult circumstances? He responded, it started slowly. You see, I began being grateful for the little things like clothes, my next meal, those material things, you know, that would consider our daily bread. And I began to see things through different eyes. Now I see things in light of eternity and how this present life has a direct effect on my next life. And how anticipation of the next life is having a profound effect on this life I have now. And it's been truly amazing. The preacher asked about the inscription for the headstone. He said, I want to forward a message on to any wayward passerby who comes across my headstone. And maybe identifies it. Who has been unthankful and ungrateful. And I want them to discern this message that I wasn't grateful for so many things and I'm asking God to forgive me. You see, that's it. God helps us understand what grace is all about. He helps us to realize that our, His grace alone is reason enough to be thankful even when we wish things were different. Maybe that should be a saying for our church, forgive me for the days I wasn't grateful. That we should have an unthankful wall, an ungrateful wall. That we leave our whining, complaining there and start thanking God for who He is. Church, grace, grace is retrospective. It looks back and sees God in every situation. But finally, and this is powerful, Grace is contagious. When I think of the word contagious, I think of a sickness. And I think of someone's around someone that's contagious, what's going to happen typically? They're going to catch it, right? They're going to catch whatever they have. And that's happened before, especially little kids. They're, they're around other kids at school that are sick, and then they come home and then they're sick. And then it's that downward spiral. I'm going to make a profound statement this morning. Complainers are going to complain. Did you know that? I know it blew y'all some, some of y'all away with that. But complainers are going to complain. That's inevitable. And the more you're around them, you know what's going to happen? The more you're going to complain. So I think of grace as being contagious as complaining is contagious. The more I'm around someone that's ungrateful, the more ungrateful I'm going to be. But let's think about it in the light of grace. The more you're around someone that is truly trying to live a grace-filled life, they're going to rub off on you, aren't they? I believe it. Because I've been around those people and those individuals. There have been times in my life where I have been that individual. And others around me have caught what I had in a good way. But there's been others around me that have caught what I had in a bad way. 
that I was complaining, so they started complaining. All of a sudden, we had this complaining party. Let's get everyone else to come in and, and complain with us. But grace is contagious. Complainers like to point out everything that's wrong with everything. They're never happy. They're never joyful. You ever notice how we don't notice something until someone else points it out to us? That happened even this week. Uh, Amanda was, was doing some jobs that she intended to do early in the summer and uh, got delayed with, and she was painting uh, some of the back doors on our porch. And, and I came home. She did a great job. And, and instead of pointing out how great they looked, the first thing I pointed out was the imperfection of it. I know it shocks y'all, right? Because she had, she had painted it, and there was a, a little hair that got caught in the paint, so it was right there. It was the eye level. That's all I saw. I didn't see the great job of paint she did, so that's the first thing I did. I said, well, it looks great, honey, but did you notice this? Now she fixed it, but the point I'm trying to make is, isn't it very easy to look at the negative, to look at the critical? To always look at what's wrong? And I'm not preaching at one person in particular. I'm preaching to all of us because we've all done that, even in the church setting. It's very easy to notice everything in the church that is wrong. Again, you don't have to look very far in this church to find things that are wrong. You don't have to look very far to find things that aren't right. It's going to happen. But as a child of God, we have a myriad of reasons to be grateful. But how often do we show our gratitude? How often do we thank those in our lives that watch out for us? Or do we find ourselves grumbling and complaining more against them? Former megachurch pastor Ed Dobson tells about living with ALS for 12 years. I want you to listen to what he says. He says, there are many things for which I am not grateful. He said, I can no longer button my shirt. I can no longer put on a heavy jacket. I can no longer raise my hands above my head. I can no longer eat with my right hand. I eat with my left hand, and now even that is becoming a challenge. And over time, all of these challenges will get worse and worse. So what in the world do I have to be grateful for? He says two words, so much. He said, Lord, thank you for waking me up this morning. Lord, thank you that I can turn over in my own bed. Lord, thank you that I can still get out of bed. Lord, thank you that I can still brush my teeth. Lord, thank you that I can still eat breakfast. Lord, thank you that I can still drive. Lord, thank you that I can still walk. Lord, thank you that I can still talk. And the list goes on and on and on. He said, I have learned to be grateful for the small things in my life and for the things that I still can do. But here's a good question to ask. What are others catching because of us? Are they catching your critical spirit? Are they catching your complaining? Or are they catching your joy? God's grace. When you look back at how God's grace has overwhelmed you in your life, it should lead you to having a grace-filled life that's contagious. And that's what I want myself to be, and that's what I want our church to be. To be so filled with God's grace and goodness and joy that it's just bubbling out and others are catching what we have. Grace is retrospective. It's always there for the believer, guiding us, chasing us, giving us something we don't deserve. But grace is always also contagious. 
You know, a few weeks ago in the start of this series, I talked about once we're saved, grace activates us. And I used these matches here. And I said, what, what it does is our life is like this match that's dead. It's not lit. And that's not the purpose of this match. The purpose of this match was to be, to be lit, to be set on fire. I guess I'll use my water today. But I started thinking about it even more. But Mike, why don't you come up here? I'm going to light him on fire today. You guys are all going to see it. Just kidding. It'll help those sinuses. All right. Don't be scared. Just hold this. Don't burn yourself. What happens if this match gets close to that match? catches on fire. You see what happened? This match, it just burned out. Let's try another one. You blow it out, it's fine. The point I'm trying to make is, once I went towards that match, what happened? This match became lit. So think about your own life. Thanks. You can go back to your seat. Here you go. Are our lives doing that as well? When someone comes around us, are they being lit (laughs) by grace? Are they being activated by grace as well and activated by joy and, and goodness and mercy and God's love? Or the reverse, are they being activated by complaining and bitterness and anger and frustration and all the things that we don't like? Grace is retrospective, it looks back, but grace is contagious. And I know these matches do a very bad comparison, but if I were to have one match and another match and another match and everyone in this room have a match and all of a sudden you started getting close to that match, what would happen? They would all be lit on fire. So what would happen to our church if we were all lit on fire? Amazing things. That's what God wants to do with his grace, the limitless power of his grace. He wants to activate us. And he wants us to take his grace and make it contagious so others can see, so others can know. And here's the core truth of the message. Joy, prayer, thanksgiving are imperatives of a grace-filled life. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything, say it with me, give thanks. Why? I don't know what God's will is for my life. Well, Paul clearly tells us what God's will is for our lives. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What? That you give thanks, that you pray continually, and that you rejoice always. You want to live a grace-filled life? Then practice those three things about rejoicing sometimes. It's not about praying when you feel like it. It's not about giving thanks when things are going good. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. One more time. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks.